Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 281. You know, every idea counts, so I would urge people to just keep trying to push technology forward, and hopefully uh, our grandkids will be driving amazing electric DeLoreans and electric uh, Jeeps around, and it'll be a better place for it. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Award-winning author and designer Dwight Knowlton has done it again. His book, The Greatest Race, is now available. The Greatest Race is the story of Sir Sterling Moss's epic and record-crushing win of the 1955 Mille Miglia in the Mercedes-Benz 300 SLR. In collaboration with Sir Sterling Moss himself, Dwight has created a wonderful children's book from this epic race as a follow-up to his best-selling book, The Little Red Racing Car. I have my own copy of The Greatest Race, and I can tell you, this kid's impressed. Like his previous book, this one is printed in the USA. Check out Dwight's Carpe Viem brand, where you can find both of his books, shirts, and more that embrace his seize-the-road philosophy. Enjoy Carpe Viem at carpegear.com, and be sure to sign up for his newsletter while you're at his website. That's carpegear.com, C-A-R-P-E gear.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Chris Anthony. Chris, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am. All right. Great to have you here. Chris Anthony is an entrepreneur who's created numerous ventures and businesses. He's the founder of Epic Wake Boats, a recognized leader in the sports boat industry. His companies have included Endless Energy, a sulfur graphene. Am I saying that right? Graphene battery technology? You are graphene. Graphene. Okay. Battery technology company. Flux Power, an energy storage system, After Motors, manufacturer of the world's most efficient commuter vehicles, Epic Boats, a leader of resin infusion composites, Wakework, a wakeboard company, oh my gosh, this guy's busy, and Epic Torque Roadster. Chris continues his pursuit of world-changing innovation that can both increase efficiencies and enhance the way people are transported in their lives. Chris, I've told our listeners just a little bit about your really busy life. Would you take a moment and share some more about your career, your businesses, your interests, and of course, your passion for automobiles? Sure. Um, yeah, I've been very fortunate in the last uh, few years to meet some really interesting people with some uh, really great ideas and, uh, you know, work with them to, you know, innovate into the future products, mm-hmm. you know, especially electric vehicles. I really started uh, as a young man trying to be as uh, entrepreneurial as uh, possible, uh, always trying to make a buck <laughs> is what most of the uh, relatives would tell you. <laughs> I'm actually the first uh, in my Blue Ridge uh, Smoky Mountain family to graduate high school. Oh, my goodness. Um, wow. And uh, then the first to go on to college. And uh, I went to uh, University of North Carolina and uh, had a very warm reception with all my relatives there as I graduated. A lot of uh, hooting and hollering <laughs> that uh, a lot of the other kids didn't get. Uh, but my family was uh, was very excited to uh, see me uh, move through that educational process. But Absolutely. You know, as, a, as a young guy, I was always you know interested in um, mechanical devices, building go-karts and working on small engines and um, just anything I could get my hands on, helping my dad rebuild, you know, small block and large block engines and 
uh, work on buses. Uh, he ran a rafting company in Northeast Tennessee, so I got to spend a lot of time on the water. Learned uh, learned a lot about uh, hydrodynamics, the way the, the the water flowed around objects, and you know mm-hmm. why objects would cause water to do. Uh, what it does, uh, which inspired uh, later um, aerodynamic interest. Cars move air in certain ways, and if you have a good hydrodynamic background, uh, then aerodynamics uh, come a lot more easily to you. So, you know, it was a very good education out in the world that kind of led me into some of these advanced technologies. Uh, but, you know, I would uh, I would clean cars uh, to make a buck. I would, you know, I was uh, one of the first kids uh, to really understand the uh, inner workings of the original Nintendo Entertainment System. I remember I set up uh, set up shop and started rebuilding kids' Nintendos that were broken. And uh, <laughs> I would do, you know, sometimes 100 plus in a month. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you know, I was buying power supplies. I remember I was buying power supplies from this guy, and I would order them 200 at a time. And uh, It's like, yeah, what is this I, kid up to? <laughs> I wouldn't tell him what I was doing with him, so he would, he would get so mad. <laughs> what the heck are you doing with all these power supplies? But, you know, that was one of the main things that burnt out on those Nintendos. And, ah. you know, for, for 10 bucks, I would uh, I would clean your contacts and, you know, replace a spring inside. And for 20 bucks, I'd give you a new power supply. So wow. um worked out really well and, uh, you know, got into uh, the, the electronics uh, education there and, you know, was always uh, interested in RC cars. You know, I used to race when I was younger, too, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, how those little DC brushed motors worked and the controllers and battery technologies. I would wind my own DC uh, motors to make them more efficient, and I'd go out and I'd shark the older guys on the track, you know, <laughs> let them beat me a couple times, and then uh, start raising the stakes. Yeah, uh, which... <laughs> the pool shark. <laughs> <laughs> which worked out nicely for me, and I won a few uh, pretty nice cars. Um, but, you know, those uh, those propulsion technologies, you know, really grew from, 80s control technologies into some of the electric vehicle technologies you see today. So, uh, you know, that was also a great education. And then you know, working my way through college and, uh, you know, being a, a starving athlete, trying to make my way, I ended up uh, starting my first company, which was uh, Precision Networks, which was actually the company I started rebuilding computers and then started buying auction parts off the internet and building, uh, you know, spec computers and selling them through the paper. I had a $500 computer special. And, uh, you know, people just bought the crap out of that. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, I ended up selling a lot and then ended up getting some business accounts. And, you know, the business guys would order, you know, 20 to 200 computers at a time and found out really quickly that, you know, what they really needed was, uh, you know, not me to sit in my garage and build computers all day was that uh, they needed to connect those computers and make their whole, you know, infrastructure work. So it actually ended up becoming a network company. And I ran some of the first, uh, you know, OC48 lines in North Carolina and ran laser to fiber uh, optic connections and did some really cool stuff uh, on the tech side in North Carolina when nobody else was doing it. And, you know, I was 20, what, 21, 22 years old. So it was a fun time. Then made my way from uh, North Carolina, uh, where I was going to college, out to the golden state of California. <laughs> yes. Uh, where I'd lived briefly when I was younger and loved to surf and just loved the, uh, the sand and sun and uh, always wanted to make my way back. But I actually got my degree in finance, so I moved out to California, sold my computer business, moved out to California and started a brokerage firm out here in Del Mar. And, uh, you know, it was a very um, exciting time pre-2001 mm-hmm. uh, to be in that industry. Unfortunately, when the market crashed in 2001, it was a miserable time to be yeah, in that industry. Yeah, yeah. So I started, uh, I started having more free time or wanting more free time and started wakeboarding out here on Mission Bay. 
and uh, it's a beautiful scenery and a great place to uh, enjoy outdoor water activities. And I'm super competitive. So, uh, you know, I just really found a love for uh, wakeboarding. Uh, but the boats didn't seem designed for wakeboarding. So I leveraged my hydrodynamic background and kayaking background. Um, I built some uh, kayaks when I was younger, too. You know, kind of had kind of uh, dealt in the how do you build stuff like that category. So <laughs> I decided I was going to design my own boat. And cool. uh, luckily, um, some free tools had come available about that time uh, in the computation uh, computational de- hydrodynamics uh, arena mm-hmm. where you could basically simulate what the water was doing behind the boat on the computer. So I started doing that and designed a boat and turned that into Epic Boats. Uh, that evolved a very unique composite technology called resin infusion, uh, building uh, lighter weight, very strong composite parts. And uh, that helped me start an electric vehicle company uh, with a friend, Steve Fambro, out here in California uh, to build the most efficient commuter vehicle to ever hit the roads. It was called Aptera. Our first vehicle that we put on the road got 430 miles per gallon. Oh my goodness. By the time we got to a production version, it was more like 300 miles per gallon, but drastic uh, efficiency and uh, something really cool in the uh, in the vehicle space. You know that gave me uh, an education in electric vehicle technologies, and I, I parlayed that into an electric boat and an electric sports car. And we also did some electric uh, all-terrain vehicles. I've always had kind of a you know a, a love for off-road vehicles. You know, in college, I before I started uh, doing the computer stuff, I was rebuilding off-road vehicles. I'd buy old Jeeps and I'd buy old Broncos and uh, just get them as cheap as I could and then just put uh, some, some love and time and aftermarket parts into them and then uh, turn them for you know, a nice profit. Mm-hmm. I think my, my nicest one was a $400 CJ5 purchase that I ended up selling to a, uh, uh, to a Marine out in North Carolina um, for almost five grand. Oh, my gosh. Me. The main reason that he uh, bought the car was because his wife just thought it was hot. Um, <laughs> it, was a, it was a nice cherry red, had a six-inch lift. Uh, it was just a beautiful Jeep. So yeah. Um, so that's uh, that kind of catches you up to today, where I've uh, I've moved into some of the more sciency aspects of electric vehicles, which is actually developing a battery chemistry, uh, which is lighter, more energy dense, and cheaper uh, than anything else out there. The number one hindrance to electric vehicle adoption today is the cost of batteries. Now, the motor technologies and power electronic technologies have have caught up nicely and are getting commoditized as we speak, Uh, but battery technologies are just so far behind. They really make electric vehicles, you know, almost infeasible, uh, especially without government incentives. But if uh, batteries were were half the cost and half the weight, uh, the world certainly opens up uh, when, you know, electric vehicles start to become you know, a parity in terms of cost with combustion vehicles, uh, you know, and obviously offering some performance benefits, as you see with like the Tesla Model S. Yes, absolutely. Well, I think, Chris, your middle initial must be E for entrepreneur, because <laughs> you're the you're the definition of entrepreneur starting from that young age going through. My goodness, holy cow, you have gotten your hands into all sorts of things. And that's why I'm really excited to have you here, because you've taken that passion for cars and certainly wrapped it into many aspects of your businesses along the way. As we continue on your journey, I always like to ask my guest for a success quote. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Chris, take the wheel. Sure. Well, I had a junior high school football coach uh, that struck me with a saying and has kind of stayed with me for a long, long time, and it was strive to be the best. 
it seems like a, a rather simple um, aspirational quote, you know, something that you'd maybe tell a third grader. Um, <laughs> but it uh, it really has, uh, from that point in my life, uh, been a, a guiding statement. You know, I think sports really led me to find success and that success breeds success. And, uh, you know, if you strive to be the best in any one given situation, uh, even if you don't end up becoming the best, which is always hard to do, I can't claim to be uh, really the best at uh, anything uh, that I've aspired <laughs> uh, to do. But if you are second best or third best or even a hundred best at, uh, you know, winding uh, electric motors for your, you know, RC car mm-hmm. or uh, composite technologies or hydrodynamics, you, you, you've really accomplished something. If you can do that in a lot of different areas and then bring those together, you can really make something something great. You're right in so many ways. I've heard that from many of my guests. And another comment that's close to that is if you're only going to, if you're going to do something, do it right the first time. And it's nice that it came from a teacher and stuck with you. I'm sure hopefully he'll hear this someday and go, I feel so good. <laughs> Chris was listening. <laughs> I didn't think he was, but he was listening. So Every once in a while. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it sounds like you had your mind going a thousand miles a minute, so I think that's partly why. Would you share a story with us that instigated your passion for cars? Is there a pivotal moment in your life you can remember that you really knew you were a car guy? You know, as a as a young kid growing up in the South, uh, cars were kind of everything, you know, short track racing and uh, NASCAR and you know, just the work vehicles that you uh, use to, to make it through daily life. I think I knew I was a car guy when I really started working on engines. You know, I, I just love the way a combustion engine brings all these components of kinetics together um, and actually spits, you know, some juice out of your rear tire so you can peel rubber um, or, you know, make it up a big rock wall or get kids to school. It was fascinating to me that there's, you know, 700 moving parts, you know, and in uh, and, and an engine like that, and you can take them all apart and put them all back together. And holy crap, the it actually works. works. Uh, yeah. ex- except for the carburetor that I have to spend another two weeks on tweaking. Uh, um, yes. <laughs> I've been there, done that. Uh, uh, just can't get the float aligned. <laughs> but, you know, as a kid, you know, 10 years old, uh, you know, working on block uh, bus engines and and stuff like that it was just uh, just so fascinating i started driving when i was you know really young you know about that age uh, mm-hmm. 10 um, which uh, some people i'm sure listening uh, can relate to <laughs> but uh, it was you know evolving from uh, the engine into the rest of the workings uh, of the vehicles and you know getting into uh, off-road suspension uh, geometries and you know uh, making rock hopper type uh, off-road vehicles was uh, just so much fun. And I think it's really from a mechanical perspective uh, that from a young age, I was really struck by cars and, you know, how they work and why they work and trying to figure out how to make them better. And, uh, you know, luckily we're in a country that, that uh, that's made pretty easy. You know, the U.S., the accessibility to tools and garages and, you know, people uh, with like interest uh, just seems to be phenomenal. So um, really fortunate. Yes. The guest that was on our show yesterday, Rafi Manassian, is an industrial designer. He's an educator, an innovator. And he talked about the importance of kids learning how to do things with their hands and, and how their brains work, and especially teenagers and teenage boys who are very active and sitting in their seat in school and they want to do something. And, and the importance of getting out into 
what used to be Auto Shop, which converted years ago into computer labs. And I, yeah. I, it relates a lot to what you're talking about is the ability to get out and actually do something with your hands and the importance on the learning process to the mind and brain function and things. Uh, it was a really interesting discussion. But what you're talking about there is exactly right. It's great that you got to get out there and get your hands dirty and do some things. And speaking about getting your hands dirty, I'd love for you to go down a road with us here and share with us a huge challenge or a great failure that you've faced along the way in your career. But the most important part of this has to do with how did you overcome that particular situation? And even more important, what did it teach you? What did you learn from it? Sure. The failures are numerous. So um, (laughs) luckily, they're all learning uh, experiences. Yes. Um, Yes. You know, but definitely gone down so many roads that have uh, ended up being stumbling blocks. But particularly um, you know, with the Aptera project, it was an electric vehicle. And uh, something that was um, really interesting was we really needed to, to make it uber aerodynamic. Uh, the average passenger vehicle traveling down the road today uses about 65% of its fuel just pushing air out of the way at highway speeds. So um, that's a phenomenal loss. Uh, If you could take that aerodynamic loss down to, say, maybe 10% of your fuel going to just push air, that's uh, that's, a revolutionary idea. And that's really what the Aptera was about. How do you really limit uh, the amount of aerodynamic loss at highway speeds uh, in a vehicle? Uh, And it made for a very unique aerodynamic shape, you know, look more, uh, you know, like a fish swimming on the bottom of the ocean than a car. You know, so it was a very interesting, uh, interesting deal. Uh, but to really accomplish the ultra-low drag we needed, we needed to have outboard suspension. Oh. Um, and that means, um, you know, we wanted it to be a front-wheel drive vehicle. So that means you had a lot of members of the vehicle way outside, mm-hmm. and they needed to be very, very aerodynamic, or you would disturb the airflow around the car, and it would just you know, increase the, uh, the drag immensely. We got the drag so low on the Aptera, uh, the side view mirrors on an F-150 pickup truck had more aerodynamic drag than the whole Aptera car. Wow. So it gives you an idea that we had to really think about how to make the air slip around every part. Uh, and when you have an outboard suspension, now you've got your you know upper and lower A-arms for your suspension and your shock members and your driveline all hanging outside the car. Mm-hmm. Holy crap, how do you make that aerodynamic? Yeah. So my original idea was let's have a single... Uh, arm suspension. Uh, let's put, you know, all of the, um, you know, the push link to the tiller arm and the drive line and all that in one member. Uh, and then it'd be super aerodynamic. Just put an airfoil around it and you'll be done. You know, some old pickup trucks used, uh, you know, used this kind of single uh, suspension member idea, even though they were noted for having a horrible ride qualities. <laughs> it, uh, it, it seemed to uh, work back in the day, so I thought that that would be, you know, kind of the perfect uh, fit for Aptera. I think I worked for it, worked on it for maybe a week, uh, but some really late nights trying to, you know, figure out the precise geometry, fit all the members in, uh, actually made a full mock-up of it, uh, and then uh, had the team, you know, come in, which at that time was only, you know, three other guys, but uh, <laughs> started moving the thing yeah. up and down and just realized very quickly, this this was a horrible idea. <laughs> this was just no way this was going to work. This is way too complicated. Uh, so we ended up uh, splitting it into a lower and upper control arm and then um, hinged the shock off the upper arm into the body and, uh, you know, put the uh, push uh, push rod suspension in the top arm and the driveline and the lower arm. And it all, it all worked out in the end, but it was quite a uh, 
uh, let down when I thought I had this uh, this brilliant idea that would take us into the future of uh, aerodynamic uh, vehicle propulsion. Yeah. And uh, I just kind of blew up over a week and, um, you know, <laughs> became very apparent uh, that 1940s uh, pickup truck technology uh, was not going to be what was uh, going to push the Aptera. So. Very interesting story and not unlike what so many engineers and designers, I'm sure, have gone down roads that have ended up at dead ends and they've had to turn around and go back and start over. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum where you have an aha moment that works. And it kind of illuminates your way, if you will, to a new idea or a new direction that you had. And tell us the steps you took to turn your aha moment into a success. Sure. Well, much like the... Um the imperfect moments of uh, of some of the failure, like uh, like that suspension idea, it's often blended with uh, successes and failures uh, all in, all in one. Yeah. Uh, but it's really the aerodynamics of the Aptera. I first met with uh, an engineering friend out here in California named Steve Fambro, who was a pilot um, and had an idea for this uh, cambered body type vehicle uh, that could really uh, defeat what's called ground effect. Uh, basically, when you're uh, pushing air in a vehicle, uh, the air in front of the vehicle clumps up and it can't go anywhere um, in the down direction because you have the ground there, the road. Sure. It can't go anywhere. Uh, so you create a really high pressure zone in front of the vehicle. That's called ground effect. Uh, to defeat ground effect, you want to speed up that air in front of the vehicle and get it out as quickly as possible. Uh, and that's what made the, uh, the Aptera's aerodynamics uh, so compelling. Uh, but it was really when you know we started looking at this and figuring out how efficient this shape could be. Uh, we actually, uh, <laughs> when uh, when we first started developing the body, um, I actually built it out of clay, and I went and bought uh, at Michael's a cake turner um, and took a, <laughs> a bunch of pictures of the clay model in a circle and then uh, got a uh, very inexperienced uh, CAD guy out of college to, hey, put this in CAD for us because we have to send it off to NASA Langley to get tested. And he was like, well, you're crazy. It's just a bunch of lump of, looks like a lump of crap. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it was just a little um, you know, lump of clay that didn't really have a a whole lot of geometry it didn't seem from 10 feet away at all but uh but when you got closer it definitely did um and we sent that uh first cambered body with the outboard suspension off to nasa langley and uh they came back i guess it was a week later and they said we need to have a conference call because none of our models are are um really uh coming to any conclusive um answers here so we got on the phone with them and and you know said uh, okay well what's the problem you know it's just, it's a pretty simple shape why can't you guys you know test it in your you know super cfd computers that you have there i mean they said well the results were getting just too low we just don't understand you know what's going on here this thing says that you know the, the drag coefficient is lower than anything else we've seen ever wow um, <laughs> and and we said well that's because it is doing what it's supposed to do. <laughs> yeah. It's supposed to be the most aerodynamic shape, you know, a car could ever be. And we sit, uh, you know, I realized at that moment, you know, sitting with uh, six NASA scientists on the phone, you know, which I'm sure was thousands of dollars per minute uh, of their time, uh, that we were in uncharted territory. Um, you know, the, these guys were the experts, you know, in computational fluid dynamics and aerodynamics in general. And they just did the, the idea of defeating ground effect uh, for the purposes of vehicle technology, it was just so foreign to them uh, that they just had no no way to give us any advice or any help. You know, we were going to them to say, how can we make this better? We have this idea. And they said, it it's really so cool good. Why would you need to make it better? <laughs> exactly. So that was really 
you know, the first time where I was like, this is going to change the world. This idea of aerodynamic transportation is going to, you know, make the world a better place. If these guys that are so smart, you know, they can put uh, rockets into space, uh, can't give us any advice to make this better. Uh, we need to run with this as hard as we can uh, uh-huh. and you know, get this into the public hands. Wow. Wow. That is very cool. How about proudest career moments? You've probably had many with all the things you've been involved with, but is there one in particular that really stands out for you? Yeah, you know, it it comes back to Aptera. Um, and I think it's because so many things came together at one time for us. Uh, we had, you know, brilliant uh, investor support. Uh, we were leaning on a world-changing idea, uh, and we had a team that was just inspired around that idea. Everybody was working for this common goal. And uh, it really led to the launch of the Aptera, where everybody in the shop was there for three days straight without sleep. Nobody went home. You know, everybody was just... Um, you know, this this vehicle had to be launched. We had to get this done. Uh, you know, we brought in pizza. You know, we had the, the wives and girlfriends bring in blankets and pillows, and we slept on the floor. And <laughs> just, you know, got it done the last few days. You know, we, we had investors in sweeping the floors and helping us set up for the launch and, you know, serving drinks. You know, at, at the party, it was just an amazing, you know, confluence of everybody realizing this is such an important idea. You know, we really want to make this happen. So, you know, at that time, you know, we really felt like the whole world uh, was listening and it really was a pivotal moment uh, in automotive history that, you know, the, the tech community and, you know, the automotive industry was saying, hey, you know, this is this is not just interesting, this is compelling and this is how we need to push, you know, our vehicle technologies in the future, you know, aerodynamic. Aerodynamic propulsion is, you know, what transportation technologies are going to look like into the future um, and they need to jump on board. So I just thought it was a a great time to to be in that space. And I think now we're actually seeing the fruits of that labor in today's vehicles. You know, Mercedes-Benz has set very aggressive aerodynamic targets over the next 10 years. You can see it in almost every vehicle uh, that's being unveiled today, except for some of the kind of uh, more gas-guzzling SUVs and pickup trucks. Uh, When you get into the more commutery-type vehicles, you know, aerodynamics is a a big, big trend. Um, And we think, uh, you know, it will continue to be for for many years. Now, is, is Aptera still around? Is it the car, where is that at now? Um, you know, unfortunately, uh, the ambitions of Aptera uh, were a little too large, uh, and they tried to launch in a very large way, and uh, launching in a large way takes lots of money, um, and the economy just kind of crapped out uh, 2008, 2009, and that was just when Aptera needed that uh, kind of heavier launch money. So that infusion. Um, where was Elon? <laughs> where was Elon at that time? You know, we had conversations, but they didn't go far enough. You know, it's uh, it's you know, the Aptera is um, you know bleeding edge technology still today, and uh, you know, I hope that uh, the, the company's kind of reincarnated in some form, even if it's not under the Aptera name, just because the technology is so compelling. But you know, as it stands today, it's uh, it's you know, in storage uh, somewhere, not in my hands, you know, and I hope that uh, somebody gets a bug to uh, to relaunch it and uh, start putting out some of these vehicles. Yeah, oh, very interesting story. Let's have a little bit of fun here. What was your first really special car? And if you could share a memory you had with that vehicle. <laughs> uh, sure. You know, I, I, I imagine like probably a lot of people, uh, it was actually my first car. My first car was a 1984 Honda CRX. 
I bought it from a cousin for $300 in Tennessee. And then I immediately hopped in the car the, the first time I saw it and drove to Arizona, uh, where I started college. <laughs> it was, uh, uh, it was a heck of a vehicle and got, uh, uh, an amazing, uh, um, you know, gas mileage, uh, even back then, you know, 50, 60 miles per gallon. So, uh, it was perfect car for a, uh, you know, young college kid. And, uh, I used and abused, uh, that car for sure. You know, a little Honda CRX, super low slung, but we would drive down to Mexico and uh, go out with the guys in their Jeeps. And I remember my friend had a Suzuki Samurai, uh, and we would just uh, drive the crap out of these cars through uh, through the desert and through the dunes. And uh, it was pretty amazing where a short wheelbase car like that could get, uh, even though it was only five or six inches off the ground. Um, I could get almost anywhere that that Suzuki Samurai could get. Uh, the Jeep could get a little further, but, uh, you know, it was... It was pretty impressive. I ended up actually blowing uh, uh, blowing a uh, head gasket and then cracking the head in Mexico, but luckily made it back to Arizona, and uh, JB welded that sucker back together and uh, replaced the head gasket with some gasket maker, and uh, it still leaked oil, but uh, it got 70 miles per gallon, so I, I kept it and loved it. And uh, That actually got me into my first uh, off-road vehicle uh, because I traded it straight up for a $1,500 Jeep in uh in arizona there which is pretty funny seeing as i bought it for three hundred dollars and i probably put you know eighty thousand miles on it before i traded it for that jeep uh but heck that's the way uh wheeling and dealing uh in cars uh, sounds so. like you've done a lot of wheeling and dealing <laughs> that's for sure is there a vehicle that you've sold that you really wish you had back in your garage in north carolina i bought a mustard yellow chevy blazer k5 uh, I think it was a 1976. Yeah, I remember uh, those. And it was uh, it was uh, just an awesome truck. Uh, I rebuilt uh, the 350 long block it had in there, and it had tons of power. You know, I had um, you know a glass pack type exhaust, and it was uh, you know nice and loud and burly sounding. Uh, and uh, you know, I was uh, you know going to college in a beach town there in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina. So it was great to take the top off and drive the girls around and go to the beach and, you know, take everybody to track practice. And Yeah, those are fun. Our gym where we'd start our track practices were in this, uh, you know, big building in the University of North Carolina. had a ton, you know, probably 50, 60 stairs to get up there. Everybody hated climbing those stairs. So uh, whenever I took anybody to practice, I'd drive the truck all the way up these stairs. Oh, gosh. To the top and <laughs> drop everybody off <laughs> and then drive back down. I'm still amazed today that I never got in trouble for that, and I probably did it 20 or 30 times. I was going to say, how would you get away with that? <laughs> yeah, you know, there's black tire marks on the stairs. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the poor groundskeepers like, where is this black rubber coming from? Yeah, it was like a big quad, and like, uh, you know, any of the other eight buildings around it could see me going up there in this big yellow uh, truck, but it was just, you know, I, I guess it was a staple yeah. uh, of the campus, and, uh, and everybody loved it. But I would love to have that truck in California now. Because you know, I'd love to take the kids uh, to the beach in it, take the top off, and oh, know, yeah. be able to just uh, drive around. But uh, it was gone long ago, and uh, you know, I guess I'll have to find another one one day. Well, they're hard to find. I think they've all rusted away. But uh, I drove those uh, from San Diego up to Mammoth Mountain many times to go skiing, and down to Baja to go surfing. How about current projects? What are you working on today that really has you excited and fired up? Um, well, uh, you know, as I said, I 
think the number one impediment to electric vehicle adoption is the cost of batteries. So, you know, I started Flux Power a few years ago uh, with the aspiration of really making uh, battery pack technology uh, easier, more accessible, and less expensive. Uh, and that company has gone really well. I took it public a few years ago, and um, you know, they're doing some pretty great things. Uh, but you know, was with that company, never able to advance the chemistry of batteries to, to make things better. So now I've, I'm working on uh, sulfur graphene technology uh, with a, a very smart uh, biotech friend here in San Diego, Mark Griffiths. And uh, you know, he's uh, working in biotech now, working uh, with a lot of the same elements that are used uh, in this advanced battery, uh, but for much uh, different uh, applications. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we found is that you know, sulfur and graphene have almost you know six to eight times the theoretical energy density of today's lithium batteries, uh, but nobody's figured out how to make a battery with these elements and make it last a long time. Hmm. Uh, so you know we think we've figured out a, a great way to make them last, you know, equally as long as today's lithium batteries, but they're they're much cheaper, half the cost. Uh, they're much more energy dense, you know, in the final product, they're two to three times uh, as energy dense as their current. Uh, lithium batteries and you know the the metrics just work out really well to you know have a, a 600 mile per charge model s or you know something uh, you know that's that's well powered uh, by a battery pack and would compete nicely uh, with a combustion vehicle and one of the coolest things about uh, sulfur and uh, graphene is that they can be locally sourced i mean we can find all these uh, elements uh, readily and cheaply in north america um, and even just in California. So unlike a lot of the battery batteries that we're bringing in today, you know, all of our lithium batteries today come from Asia. Most, the vast majority of our lead acid batteries come from Asia now uh, because it's just so hard to process those materials in the U.S. And basically China has a lock on the uh, rare earth uh, materials used in a lot of those batteries. So mm. to be developing a more compelling battery technology that's cheaper, more energy dense, and U.S. made is just a really cool and I think, uh, you know, even more than Aptera or some of the other projects uh, I've been working on really have the chance to make an impact in people's everyday lives. Oh, gosh, I can only imagine the many ways that would make an impact on so many things, geopolitical, financial. Uh, the list is ongoing. So very, very interesting technology. Fantastic. And just cool. I know uh, my, my partner, uh, Mark, he uh, loves Formula One racing, and his uh, greatest aspiration is to see, uh, you know, Formula E racing uh, on par uh, with regular Formula One. Uh, same thing with the, uh, you know, MotoGP um, motorcycle guys. Uh, electric technologies, um, you know, have all the performance attributes except for these really heavy batteries that they're toting around. So if you could have batteries that were, you know, three times as energy dense uh, as they are today, it would really change the landscape uh, in terms of, you know, not only racing, but, uh, you know, performance vehicle technologies in general. I think not too many people would disagree that the Tesla Model S is an amazing car, but it's heavy. If you could drop a thousand pounds out of that car, holy shnikes, mm-hmm. you, you know, it would blow your ears off. Yes. Um, you know, you would scare your grandma to death driving that thing. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's that's really the aspiration is, you know, you, you have to make uh, battery technology compelling enough, not just from a cost perspective, uh, but from a performance perspective, too. And I really think that sulfur graphene has those capabilities. Yes, that would bring a whole new dimension to Tesla's launch mode. <laughs> very cool uh, 
zero to 60 in one point. Uh, uh, ooh, yes, blow your toupee right off. Here's a very introspective question for you, Chris. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? You know, this is a, a tough question for sure. There's so many possibilities, uh, you know, go high-end expensive or, uh, you know, something that's uh, really quirky to your personality. But I think I would have to go... Uh, with a Jeep Wrangler JK. That's the uh, the, the bigger uh, Jeep Wrangler, longer wheelbase with four doors. It's uh, it's just so utilitarian, and I think it's uh, been so well evolved uh, over the last two decades. Just a, a really cool and, uh, you know, uh, amazing vehicle. I kind of hate to pick a combustion vehicle because I love EV technologies uh, so much, but until we have our sulfur graphene batteries done to put in a Jeep Wrangler type vehicle, <laughs> there you go. Uh, it, I would have to uh, I would have to just uh, go with the Wrangler JK. Very cool. So Chris, up next is the last lap, but before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's sponsor. No more worries about a dead battery. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium-ion technology that'll start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology and a reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle every time. It includes a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight, and it easily recharges with USB outlets so you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality, design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Okay, Chris, we're back and we're entering the last lap, and this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions, and you give our listeners some really quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? Sure. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? Um, I would have to go with, uh, if it's hot, it's broke. <laughs> That's the first one here. I've heard that. <laughs> Check for heat. It's uh, really uh, intuitive, but it's come in handy so many times. You know, bearings, joints, uh, cooling issues, uh, look for heat first. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? I, you know, I really think, communication is a hard skill to master, but it's the number one enabler to working effectively with other people. You know, read your emails, check your writing before you click send. Just the basics of, uh, you know, the relaying your message to other people is so important, uh, especially when you're trying to bring really compelling ideas to life. You, you got to be able to uh, uh, communicate those ideas quickly and effectively. Oh, yes, so true. I love Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Habit five, first listen to understand, then speak to be understood. Very yep. important. Do you have a resource you think the Cars Yow listeners would really enjoy? Your listener base uh, probably already knows about these guys, but Copart, uh, they sell salvage vehicles, uh, and they're an easy way to find a really cheap vehicle really quick. Uh, there's a bunch of guys that can uh, help you buy those vehicles, you know, basically act as agents. Uh, but if you're getting into a car project, you're rebuilding something, you know, it's uh, really cool to have a resource that has thousands and thousands of cars, you know, at any time. And, you know, if you're building an off-road Jeep, um, you know, and you can find a Jeep with some front-end damage that you know you're going to replace that front bumper anyways, you might as well get it cheap, and that's a, that's a good way to do it. Is there a book that you think our listeners would really enjoy reading? Uh, they still make books. <laughs> it could be an ebook or an audiobook. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, I, uh, I unfortunately uh, hate to admit this, but I don't uh, read uh, books a whole lot. I just, uh, I just haven't done it. The last book I probably read was on uh, V8 engine technologies that I read cover to cover. Uh, other than that, it's mostly reference materials. I would say uh, the old NACA, N-A-C-E, uh, the National Advisory Committee on Aerospace was what it was before it was NASA. Uh, but there's a lot of great old papers uh, on aerodynamic theory that are really cool and really, uh, you know, the, the root technology of a lot of the stuff that's going on in aerodynamics today. Um, and also uh, old patents. If you have anything that strikes your interest that you're trying to innovate on or you just think is cool and want to learn more about, uh, go to Google's patent search. Uh, and search whatever it is you're interested in and start reading up on patents. There's lots of crazy, kooky ideas that, you know, you, you might want to discount right away, but it's really cool to see at least the images on. Uh, but I've found that uh, Google's patent search, um, you know, especially over the last few years, uh, you know, maybe five years ago, it wasn't, it was way too hard to use. But today, I mean, shoot, you can find so much information so quickly on that patent search. Yes. Uh, it's very cool. Yeah. Very good. Great references. All right. We're up to the checkered flag, Chris. And this last question can be a real doozy. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, but don't worry about the cost because today I'll buy you whatever you'd like, what would that one vehicle be and why? I did an electric DeLorean a few years back, and I thought the DeLoreans were just really cool. Uh, there's a car company um, in Texas that actually still builds the DeLoreans. Uh, you can buy a new DeLorean that's made the exact same way it was in 1984 mm -hmm. uh, today, uh, which is really cool. We uh, we actually build parts uh, for DeLorean uh, in our boat plant. We build resin infusion, uh, composite chassis, and interior parts for them. Uh, and uh, you know it's uh, uh, it's really cool to see the the weight savings that you can uh, on an old vehicle like that. But the DeLorean was actually the first composite chassis. Uh, vehicle ever made, you know, large volume production vehicle. Most people don't know this because they see the stainless steel car and they say, oh, well, the whole thing is stainless steel. It's built just like a regular car. Uh, but no, it's actually a uh, double Y-frame chassis uh, and a composite body sets on top of that. And then those stainless steel panels just stick on with double-sided tape. Um, it's uh, it's a really interesting technology, uh, and back then they were using uh, vacuum-assisted molding technology, and today we're using uh, resin infusion technology, and I, we've been able to actually drop that chassis weight by 250 pounds. So I think you know, uh, given the you know stainless steel and composite chassis nature and the gold-wing doors, which are just so awesome. I think if I was going to put uh, one collector car in the garage, it, it would be a DeLorean. <laughs> there you go. We had a guest on the show here a while back, Toby Peterson, who owns DeLorean Motor Company Northwest. And he works mm -hmm. on DeLorean cars up here in the Pacific Northwest. There's a whole bunch of them up here, which uh, I found surprising. And he works with that company you mentioned out of Texas as well, is licensed to uh, build those cars. And uh, actually worked on a car that he sent to New Zealand or Australia where they changed it over to a right-hand drive. Nice. Yeah, moved it down there. So DeLorean, very cool. Great choice. I love it. Chris, you've taken me on a great ride today. I've really enjoyed your stories, and I want to thank you for sharing your amazing journey. We're so excited about what you're up to there. Please give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off in the sunset in your DeLorean. Well, keep pushing technologies forward. 
uh, you know, anytime you can, whether it be uh, vehicle suspensions or aerodynamics, propulsion technologies, or, you know, how those propulsion technologies are powered. You know, every idea counts. So I would urge people to just uh, keep trying to push technology forward. And hopefully uh, our grandkids will be driving amazing electric DeLoreans and electric uh, Jeeps around and uh, it'll be a better place for it. There you go. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and your company? Uh, well, Epic Boats is just epicboats.com, and uh, Flux Power is uh, fluxpwr.com, and uh, Endless Energy is uh, end, L-I-S, uh, which stands for lithium sulfur, energy.com. You know, feel free to hit those links and uh, read more uh, up on those uh, companies and uh, learn more about how we're advancing uh, technologies and the energy storage and marine space and automotive space. Fantastic. Listeners, again, you can find links to everything Chris has shared with us today at carsyad.com slash Chris Anthony. Just put Chris in the search box. His show notes page will pop up with links to every one of his businesses. Chris, thanks for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and the listeners. Until we talk again, we'll see you down the road. Thanks, Mark. Such a great show. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.